said, and I quote, If anyone comes unto me, I will in no manner cast that person out. He did not say, If anyone comes unto a church conference or a pastor or a seminar, he simply said, If anyone comes unto me. Hey, this is Peter John. You are listening to this Thursday morning's edition of Rogue Grace on this beautiful day. Beautiful day, you're thinking. Well, considering that this is the day that the Lord has made, he has a plan and a purpose for this day for you and I. Going back to what I started with, if anyone comes unto me, Jesus says, oh, it's wonderful to go to a conference, to go to church, to talk with your pastor. Those are great things, but but they're not necessary to come to Jesus. All you need to do is come unto him today. And he will not toss you aside, turn his back on you, or reject you. He will always accept you if you come unto him, to Jesus. Pretty cool. Let me read to you our text in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We just read that Jesus is able to save completely, to save to the uttermost. Literally, that word means at all times. Why can Jesus save you as your high priest at all times? Because he died and paid the penalty, and the price for your sin. Therefore, he doesn't just accept you when you are doing good or when things are right. But he also accepts you when you're doing bad and things are all wrong because he paid the price, not you. You didn't pay the price for your sin as a Christian. Jesus paid the price for your sin. So you can come to him at any time. He is able to save literally at all times, Hebrews chapter 7. Don't you love that? 
He's able to save when I am doing good and when I am doing not good. Who does he save at all times, literally, to the uttermost? Those who draw near to God through him. You can draw near to God today, this morning, through one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, who is your means, who is the way for you to draw near to God. Verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Praise the Lord that we have this high priest. It's fitting that he is our high priest who is holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Jesus, there is no one like you. Verse 27, he has no need like other high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Last verse, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So the priests in Levi, in the law, they were appointed as priests, but in weakness. But Jesus took an oath in the order of Melchizedek, as we saw yesterday, appointed by God himself to be made our high priest perfect forever. A perfect high priest. That's why you don't go to the tabernacle any longer with a bull. That's why you don't any longer have to keep the law in order to be holy and saved because you have a perfect high priest on your behalf. Check this out real quick. In Leviticus, there were burnt offerings. Depending on your monetary or your financial status, there was the offering of the bull for those who had more money. For those who had a nice bank account, they could bring the bull on behalf of their trespasses or their sins and offer it to God. On the other hand, there was also in Leviticus 1, the sacrifice of the lamb. For those who were more middle class, we would say, the lamb. Couldn't afford the bull, but they could go with the lamb. Finally, Leviticus chapter 1 says, there was the offering of the dove or the pigeon. That's the offering Mary and Joseph brought when Jesus was born in the gospel of Luke. That's the one for those who had no bank account or monetary financial status. But for everyone, everyone, the rich, the middle class, and the poor, there were sacrifices 
that were available. The bull for the rich, the lamb for the middle class, the dove, pigeon for the poor. But they were all covered. All of them. And there are some of us, I even think today, right now that are listening, that are rich. Not, I'm not talking financially now. I'm talking about rich in the things of the Bible. Doctrine of the word. Praise God, we know those who are like that, that the price has been paid and the offering has been given for your sins. And there are those that are in the middle. And then there are those who are just saved. Perhaps they would even think of themselves as baby Christians, dove pigeon, so to speak. Guess what? Good news for all of us, whether you are a bull, a lamb, or a dove. (laughs) The price has been fully paid for you. Now, the bigger the revelation that all is forgiven, the more you will be blessed in your heart and in your soul. When you come to God and know it's a bull, not just a lamb or a dove, but I mean, the bigger your understanding, the revelation that your sin is forgiven, the more blessed inwardly, the more at peace, the more joy, the more love for God you're going to have. But for all, bull, lamb, or dove, the price has been paid completely. So a guy or a gal could bring a bull to the tabernacle. And they would be in the same status as the guy-gal that brought a lamb and even like Mary and Joseph, the guy-gal that brought a dove. Because, you see, Jesus paid the price. He is the dove, the lamb, and the bull. He is all. And yet, let me also say, the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who knows, wow, look how big the sacrifices. Look how far Jesus went. For me, I realize how far short I have fallen. I realize where I've messed up. I realize I'm far from perfect. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The more you know you're forgiven, I'm talking about bowl offering. I'm not talking bowl. I'm talking about the bowl. The one who is forgiven much, loves much. There will always be the 
wanna say amen And if there's anybody here who's seen his power I really got to review these songs. Um, since my little uh, siesta in the hospital, I have forgotten about three-fourths of them. So I'm just playing them and listening and saying, oh, that's that song. Okay. Um, so I better do that. Anyways, look at this in the book of Hebrews. Check it out. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests... But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. (laughs) So even the priests had their weaknesses. Those that the law had appointed. But now we have a priest who has no weakness, but is perfect forever. That's the priest that you have representing you. That's the priest that you have as your identity as a Christian. I mean, even in the book of Hebrews that we're looking at, you see some incredible personas, people. People like Abraham, people like Moses, people like Joshua, and people like Aaron. Can can you think of a bigger or more better, stronger who's who than Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and Aaron? It's hard to, really, huh? When it comes to the Old Testament characters and Bible figures. But in each case, it is to show when the those four are brought up, And David is as well. So that makes it five. That Jesus is even better. Wow. So check it out. Abraham is brought up. Moses is brought up. Joshua is brought up. Aaron is brought up. And David is brought up. All to show that Jesus is even better than them. And guess what? How you and I would love to meet with Abraham and interact with Moses and talk to Joshua and be introduced to Aaron. We would be honored, wouldn't we? We will be in heaven, huh? But the point of Hebrews is to say none of them compare to the perfection and the beauty of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And you can know him and you do talk to him and he does know you. And that's what Hebrews 7 is telling us. Pretty awesome. Now, continuing on in our thoughts in in Hebrews, I mean, we're talking about going into the Holy of Holies, right? That was Hebrews 7. That's Hebrews chapter 8 next. But going into the Holy of Holies. See, in the 
in the law, in Levite's time, in the, in the high priestly ordinances of Aaron and his sons and his descendants, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, could they? No one could come into the Holy of Holies behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was and the presence of God abided. No one could go in there except the high priest, one guy out of the entire nation, one day a year on Yom Kippur, only after he had made sacrifices for himself and for the people and was clothed in white linen and had gone through the various baths, could he then enter? But when Jesus cried, it is finished, and the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle was torn from top to bottom. What that was signifying to us, as the New Testament will later say, is that you are now in that place where only the high priest could go before. You are now in the Holy of Holies right now. Hebrews has been telling us that. You are in the Holy of Holies. And get this, this is what, this is the kicker. This is the amazing thing. You are in the Holy of Holies. And unlike the high priest who had to make sure he was clean, he had to make sure his garments were white. He had to make sure he had made the proper sacrifices. He had to make sure he had gone through the right ceremonial cleansings. Or else he would never come out of the Holy of Holies alive. Unlike that high priest, you are in the Holy of Holies all of the time when you're doing good and when you are not doing good. Even when you sin, you are still in the Holy of Holies in the presence of the Lord because it is not based on what you do like the high priest had to make sure he was cleansed. It was based on the work of Jesus Christ once and for all. So it's not like you come into the Holy of Holies and then out of the Holy of Holies and in and out and in and out. That's how it would have felt and perhaps in a certain way have been in the Old Testament for the saint or the believer who made their sacrifices. When they made their sacrifices, they were in. When they were sinning, they were out. But now, Jesus being our perfect sacrifice, you are always in. You are never out. No matter what your behavior is, wow, praise God. What good news. I love my job because I get to share this good news. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear.
Continuing to listen to the music I had accumulated in my little tiny Rogue Grace song library, almost listening to it for the first time because it completely went out of my memory. So that's all new to me. (laughs) Anyways, the story in the scriptures in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira is a difficult one. Because I always talk about God's beautiful grace, don't I? I always love to meditate and to contemplate how Jesus Christ has made a way for me. And it's not about me at all when it comes to righteousness, but about him. I love that. 
So the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts is always a curveball. And it keeps me on my toes. Maybe you too. Because as you may remember, those two guys, well, guy and gal, husband and wife, they bit the dust. They went down. They died because they lied. And I'm thinking, wow, what happened to the New Testament where all my sins are forgiven and God doesn't count my sin against me? I, I, I'm still working that out. Now, one, one hint is, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, perhaps, the scriptures in that account of them when they died and stuff, you know, that whole account in Acts chapter 5, well, with Ananias and Sapphira, the scripture writer, the, the author of the book of, of Acts, and in Acts chapter 5, refers to their relationship with God in this term. Uh, he refers to their relationship with God just as that, as God. Never the Lord never the spirit. Now they talk about the spirit and they talk about the Lord, but in the relationship, it never says the Lord or the spirit, but simply God. And maybe, maybe just a suggestion. They didn't have a relationship with the spirit, with the Lord. They simply knew about and tried to give some kind of disposition that they were people of God. I don't know. But regardless, it's still a tough one, isn't it? I mean, how would you like it every time you lied or fudged the truth a bit? How about if you, the next time you twisted the facts to make your case, then you died? That'd be pretty tough. Pretty tough. And it says after that they died, a great fear came upon all who heard it. And a great fear came upon the whole church. <laughs> I would think so. So when I do preach on grace and God's unmerited, undeserved favor, there's still something in my heart that needs to that is, through this story, reverential to God. But check this out. Ananias, his name means the grace of Yahweh. However, his wife, Sapphira, her name is also mentioned in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law of God. Remember that? And it says that amongst the jewels was a sapphira, a jewel at Mount Sinai. So if you would allow me to connect that to me, I really see perhaps the problem with Ananias and Sapphira could be found in their very names. Ananias, what a great name. After all, that's the name of the guy that gave Paul a hand when Paul was still Saul of Tarsus. 
and he had his eyes blinded. Remember that whole account when he was persecuting Christians and God got his attention by knocking out his eyesight, knocking him off his donkey, and he was brought to the house of Sapphira. I mean, pardon me, Ananias, Ananias, who means the grace of Yahweh. And now Saul becomes Paul at the hands of and through the ministry of the grace of Yahweh. Beautiful, Ananias. Sapphira, on the other hand, is a jewel found in Mount Sinai where Moses received the law of God. And can I say this? It's a mixture of the two that will always be deadly in my walk with God or your joy, my happiness, or even in your faith. Mixing the grace of Yahweh with the jewels of Sinai. That is grace and the law. What I call, you know what I call it, right? Grah. That will always kill my joy when I come to church like it killed Ananias and Sapphira when they came into the house where Peter and the disciples and the Christians were. It always kill my relationships with other people because I'm putting on an act like Ananias and Sapphira were putting on an act that wasn't real as they were trying to showcase something that wasn't authentic. See, I don't know. That's kind of how I see it. I want to be free from having to put on an act because I am combining God's grace with the jewels of Sinai, with grace, with the law. I just want to enjoy God's grace and allow that to have its beautiful work in my life.
you're never gonna let me go And you're never gonna change your mind Love, you're never gonna let me go You're never gonna change your mind You're never gonna let me go And you're never gonna change your mind You're never gonna let me go You're never gonna change your mind I know that song because that guy, Jerry Ray, was one of my friends down in California. So that's a song I am familiar with. Anyways, what was and who were the one group that Jesus really got frustrated with? I'm not talking about his disciples with Jesus teaching them and having his ups and downs with them, so to speak, as he is discipling those 12. I'm certainly not talking about the everyday common population of Galilee or Jerusalem where Jesus was ministering and healing those and and friend of sinners. I'm talking about the Pharisees and the scribes the lawmakers. They were the one people that Jesus got frustrated with. In in the perfect sense of the word, impatient with, in the perfect way. Jesus was able to bring everyone to God and God to everyone, except for the Pharisees. who remained distant. They didn't want God near. They wanted God boxed. They wanted God distant. The Pharisees wanted God to be in the distance. And Jesus made them so angry because he was bringing God close to the people. (laughs) And so my job is not to be a Pharisee. I, I need to pray every day not to be a Pharisee and make God feel or seem distant to you. But my, quote, job, unquote, is to let you know, to remind you that God is close to you right now. And he is. You are already in the Holy of Holies. You're not making your way there. It's not a process you're going through. You are there. The work is finished You are a child of God who loves you so much because he sees you through the prism of his son, Jesus Christ. God is on the throne and God is in love with you. He knows you better than anyone else. He knows you better than you know yourself and he is still on your side. All you have to do 
is not be like what we talked about last segment, Ananias and Sapphira, those two that were trying to put on some kind of skit that they were spiritual. All you have to do is be real, open, honest with the Lord and know that you are justified. That's it. And you and I are embraced in the presence of God. This Sunday, I'm going to talk about how in Psalms 32, it does not say you are blessed because you do not sin. It says you are blessed because God does not impute your sin to you. Right? I can't wait. In fact, that was my whole sermon. I just gave it. Hope you enjoyed it. If you missed anything from my sermon that I just gave, you can always come out on Sunday. 8.30 and 10. Or no, 8.30 and 11. Come on out tonight. Prayer. Fellowship. Love. In the upper room, we're going to be seeking God first and his kingdom first. Join us. You won't be bummed out or blue afterwards, I promise. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you manana, unless we're in heaven first. Bye.